Welcome to the show. Happy Saturday night. It's midnight. And you know what time it is. Time to get loose. This week, uh, it was Method Man's 50th birthday. Give it up for Method Man. 50. 50. Morning time in London. What's up, Julia? Zach Kak Aku. Method Man 50. I'm your host. James Lewis, what's going on, everybody? What's going on? My mind's blown that Method Man is 50. It's amazing. And I don't know if you guys heard the the Red Man shout-out that I got for the podcast, but my chick hooked me up with that. That's very nice. Shout-out to Melissa. Thank you for that. All right, well, let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into it. So... I might have a guest tonight. I might not. We will see. We will totally see. So, first of all, let's see. I'm going to give you guys a, a depression update. Give you guys a depression update. So, my friend, my best friend passed away a month and a half ago, right when I started this podcast. And I didn't mean for this to be a document of that, but it kind of is. So, uh, the first month was really hard. We're going on the the second month and uh right when I thought I was all over it like this week I was working and I came out of the UPS store that I uh, tend to be at a lot and I look to the right and I see this guy in a flowered shirt and shorts just like my friend Robert would wear and I go oh it's Robert and then it hit me like a ton of bricks no it can't be Robert so that that that's one of the weird depression things. And then also today, we'll have to sit a, we'll have to get another show about this, but uh I was setting up for this live stream earlier and uh and the switch behind my whole setup just completely like turned off. And I have to look up if there is a certain electrical switch that turns off by itself. Uh, maybe to a power burst, but if not, 
then I have to believe that, that something else has caused that, uh, that disturbance in my force that caused my whole, uh, system to go down for a minute. And then like when I, I turn, I, I have, how do I explain this? I have a Wi-Fi set up to my light and it's been working all day. And right when I started to test all my systems, uh, the Wi-Fi light went out and, uh, I had to move all these records from behind, uh, where the switch was. And when I did that, someone had to physically be behind there to switch it off. And yes, I do have a cat, but the cat was nowhere near that. So anyways, greetings, magic worm. So my point is, I'm slowly getting over the loss of my best friend. I think he's with me at all times. And it could be crazy. It could be delusional just to trying to make amends with what's going on. But these weird things that we do to trick our minds, I don't really, I don't get it. But it's going on. It's going on. And then also, I'll have to say this, I, I was, uh, I'm a delivery man, so I saw, I, I delivered to my best friend's house, and he no longer lives there because he passed away a month and a half ago, and I went to deliver to his house, uh, to his neighbor, and I saw that his door was open and his couch was like moved. And I looked in and all of a sudden I saw this woman that looked just like him and it was his mom and she smiled at me and I smiled at her and uh, she knew who I was and I knew who she was and, and I think that kind of helped. She didn't seem like all broken up like I am. She seemed like she felt okay with it. So like at that point, I'm not saying she was okay with it, but maybe she just hid her emotions better than I did. So yeah. Shout out to Robert. I love that guy. I hope he is with me. So we're going to have to do a story about ghosts eventually. You know, what are they? What are ghosts? What does it all mean? What does it all mean? That is the show. I'm your host asking you, what does it all mean? So what's going on? Fatima? How you doing? How you doing? I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's either Fatima or Fatima. I want to say Fatima, I'm not sure. But anyways, happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. So I was going to be having a, uh, a guest. And I don't know if that guest is going to be showing up. It seems like a lot of people, um, they tend to want to check it out, but end up not. So... I've got backup just for that. So I got some topics that we can go over just in case. But if the caller, the, the friend does show up, we will pop into them at any time. Horrid and hapless. What's going on, Michelle? What's going on? So, all right, we're going to get into my first, first topic. So my first topic is, it's addiction. Okay, so... 
as I was touching on before, I'm a UPS driver, so I can't do drugs. Uh, I'm not a fan of drinking, so this is Thai tea. Just Thai tea. But it's an addiction. I know it sounds stupid and petty, but uh, it's my little addiction. And uh, we all have them. And some are worse than others. And I have to admit my Thai tea is not the worst thing in the world. But on other levels, uh, I have stomach issues. So me knowing that drinking Thai iced tea seven days a week will will ruin me. So uh, it's all our personal heroin, whatever we choose, you know. And uh, I think everything in moderation. And that's really it. You know, I think that's the only way to to live this life is to do things in moderation. But believe me, I am no, I can't preach about addiction because, like I said, like the cool thing about being in the job that I I do is that they force me to to do my best, and when I do my best, you know, it forces me to do other things like this podcast or play music or to do other things that'll blow off steam besides having to go and, uh, you know, do something negative, but everything, you know, for example, one of the biggest, biggest problems I have is 3am. I wake up in the morning and I just run to the sweets and I start to eat chocolate at like 3am you know, and, and I know that that's not helping me whatsoever, but my body just starts to crave these things and I see the sweets and uh, it's the weird thing about these instant gratifications in life. You know, chocolate and these things, like I said, it's not a major drug, but at 3 a.m. when I shove it down my mouth and I get this rush, you know, in a sense, that's good. Say I was in a, a jungle and, you know, I needed that, you know, drug, I would, it would be fine. But being at 3am, it's just like a creature of habit. What am I doing? You know, am I just trying to get through the night, you know? And, uh, I think everyone has their addiction, whether it be staring at their phone, whether it be, I don't know, counting the flowers on uh, a certain plant or a certain, you know, rose bush. We all have our thing and it's how do we get through it? And I think a lot of it is is knowing that there's people out there that are just like us. Because I think a lot of addiction comes from the fact that we feel that we're all alone, you know? And that's the worst feeling ever when you're like, oh, I'm all alone, you know? And nobody wants that. You know, and when you realize that everyone's felt the same feeling you felt a million times, no matter how bad it is, you know, it, it, it it's going to get better the next day, you know, so I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, I, I read one of these books by Russell Brand and it was about addiction. And he basically just took the 12 steps of these AA people and just put it into layman's terms. Like, basically, are you, uh, are you, are you fucked, basically? And, uh, do you want to be unfucked? And basically, it tells you the steps. Like, you know, go talk to the people that you, you know, kind of screwed over and 
and apologize if it doesn't hurt them and, you know, um, just be true and be real and, and ask yourself, are these addictions, whether they be chocolate at 3 a.m. or someone doing, you know, the worst drug on the world, is it, is it going to affect me? You know, is it going to affect my loved ones? You know, and I think that's one thing that people don't realize through addiction. They don't realize what they're doing to their loved ones. You know, and luckily I've had a good support facility in my life where, you know, both my parents would never let me do stuff like that. If they did, you know, there'd be consequences. So work, parents that love you, all that stuff. Those are not everybody has that. And we all have our different, you know, some people have no parents, you know, right off the gate. There's just people with no parents. And so, and they're already addicted because their mom might've done crack or whatever these things might be, you know? So I don't have the answers, but for me, the specific things that I do, you know, like to get through, you know, these things because I found it in alcohol. God, me personally, every time I drink alcohol, I get really sad and suicidal, you know, maybe not that day, but like a couple days later, you know, and I won't understand why. And it's all because of, uh, it's all because of the addiction or me trying to run away from the problems. So, Julia loves coffee. I definitely love coffee as well. But I can't do it because, yes, I have stomach issues as well. So, this is my coffee right here, this Thai tea. So, yeah, that's it. Losing parents. You know, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through that. Both of my parents are still alive. Uh, my grandparents, they were amazing. They, they, uh, they're not here. That hurts. My best friend's not here. My friend Julian's not here. But, you know, they're somewhere else, you know. They're, they're in a better place, you know. So, they're on the other side with that cosmic energy just watching us, looking in. Can't waiting, you know, to meet again. Uh, Michelle says, your choice is... Uh, is use and, and die or stop and live 25 years clean being honest made maybe too much so but screw it yeah exactly there's that's the best you know uh how to that was the best thing about me having my job is that like right out the gate I started doing these things at 21 where I didn't have that choice to really up until then you know of course I, I tried things like when I was younger but I knew, I think once I was uh, 18, since I'm a generation Xer, that the only person that was going to take care of me was me, you know? So I couldn't spin out of control and lose my job and do stupid crap. And uh, I, had to, I had to be serious and um, make a living. I didn't have time to, to worry about drug addiction. If I did, I would be homeless. And... Uh, that's that's kind of where it's at. So I kind of like these these things that force you to to put you in boxes. You know, I like boxes. I like being um I like having rules. Rules help me and I help myself learn more about myself because if I was just drinking every night and and drugging like you know, a lot of lot of how do I say like people that in the music industry, they do that, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll play a show and then they'll want to just go do drugs and party all night long. Like 
that's not fun for me. Like, that's why I do this. I, I played some music tonight and now I, the only way I can blow off steam is being here, you know? So it's all what we put our energy towards, you know? And for me, I can't, it's all about time and we only have a certain amount of time. And, uh, how much time do you want to waste? And and don't get me wrong. We can go into this at a whole different aspect where people now are doing, um, you know, like mushrooms and, and uh, psychedelics to help with their cancer treatments and to make them realize that, you know, there is uh, more to this life than their own mortality. You know, I totally get that. Me, I couldn't do that because I would just freak out. I, I already kind of naturally understand that. But some people that are, you know, they're dying of something, some terminal disease they, they don't understand. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they you know, they'll have some mushrooms and they'll, it'll crack the shell of their reality. And then all of a sudden they'll realize, oh man, I'm just like the tree growing outside. I'm just like the, the plant dying. It, we're all part of it and there's no fighting it. So back to the time, it's how much time are you going to waste on a certain thing? Like... Uh, I want to play this World of Warcraft. I bought this fancy computer to play World of Warcraft. And I've never played this game before. And um, my other friend, Robert, passed away. And he, different Robert, by the way. And he loved that game. So I, I bought it to to really memorialize him and to, like, remember him by. But I, I've played so many video games in my life thus far that it's, like, me to, for me to devote more time to video games right now it's got to be, it's got to be either to just remember you guys. Okay, cool. So for me, it's how much time do I have in a certain, a certain thing, you know, like what do I devote my time to and, and uh, addiction and drugs. But see that, that goes back to like my chocolate addiction. You know, how do I stop waking up at three o'clock in the morning and uh, eating chocolate? But some addictions are good. You know, like I, I'm addicted to playing my guitar. So right when I come home from work, you know, uh, me and my chick will watch TV, she'll turn it on, and I'll just grab my guitar and just fiddle along, fiddle along. And that's my addiction, my OCD, my, my just boom. And that leads to creation. So I think the whole point is everything in moderation. And as long as you're, you know, not hurting anyone. And for me, I, I stay away from hard drugs, you know, you're lucky to have to have been raised the way you were. I definitely am. Uh, and honestly, um, you know, uh, I, I glamatize it and make it sound like it's great, but, uh, I'm a kid from the seventies and you know, my, uh, my parents weren't perfect. They divorced by the time I was like five, I think. And, uh, I was, I grew up quick, you know, I, I grew up like, being, you know, I grew up just learning, like, you got to take care of yourself. No one else is going to take care of you. But also having that divorce, you know, you had a, a mom that like just really had to show extra love for you all the time. And then you had to have a dad that's kind of like explaining why, you know, he's not in your life. And then he's trying to show you extra love on top of that. So, you know, kids from divorce say it's bad, but 
it's it's kind of cool in a sense, you know, getting to go to your dad's every other weekend and seeing their way of life. And I got a step stepmom out of it, a stepdad out of it, more family. They're both awesome. So in a sense, I'm very lucky. But I think we're all lucky. It's it's the perspective that we see things. You know, a lot of when I was younger, I felt like, oh my, why why would my dad leave? Why would this all go down? And and as you get older, you you realize these things that we walk through these these stages of our life to you know to to learn about what it's all about you know what does it all mean what does it all mean so but I do feel lucky and I feel blessed because uh, you know there's some people that don't get that. There's some people that don't get that at all. Some people get nothing. So, but I like the people, you know, you see these stories about people that just, they never give up, you know, like <clears throat> Django Reinhardt, he's a guitar player. And I don't know if you know the story about Django Reinhardt, but he's a famous gypsy jazz guitarist and he uh, he was in a house fire, and uh, he was he was already really famous, and uh, he got in this house fire, and his hands like burned together, and a lot of the doctors, the first doctors, were saying, "Don't don't let him, you know, play guitar. Keep the guitar away from him." And then another doctor walked up and said, "No, give him that guitar." And then. He's lying in the, in the bed, supposedly, and they give him the guitar, and his hand's all jacked up like this, and he just starts to play these different chords with the jacked up hand, and those different chords start to change the face of the way that we play music now, and uh, everything happens for a reason, you know, that, that tree's bending that way for a reason, you know, so... Better people part ways when things don't work, especially when kids are involved. Definitely. And being the kid, you don't understand that. But uh, also being someone that's been through a toxic relationship and divorce, uh, I can talk about that. You know, I was in a relationship for like nine years and I was so young when I got married. I was like 21 and my my mother was passing away of cancer she did not she survived but at the time she was and so I you know grabbed on to the first thing that I saw and you know at that point being 21 it's not the smartest thing but you know you grow and by the time I hit 30 I realized that this person didn't really like me and I didn't really like that person and it wasn't really that it was just that when we were 21 you know you're babies and you're starting out and you think you know who you are and you think you know what you want but by the time you're 30 you're like no I, I want something different I want and I don't mean as in a person I just mean in a, a specific lifestyle and when things start to get toxic and when people start to compete with one another it becomes toxic and it's getting away from the toxicity. How, how do you get away from the toxicity? And realizing when it's toxic. 
You know, that's that's the that's the best thing, getting away from the toxic people. And sometimes it's musicians. You know, I've hung out with a lot of <clears throat> you know, musicians that have just they don't say anything at all. You know, you'll 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 play and you'll play your heart out and uh they'll just kind of uh they won't say anything, but then there's the other musicians that come up and give you a big hug afterwards and just be like, dude, that was the best. And those are the ones that you never forget, you know? So, but any, anyways, I think, uh, I think a lot of things lead back to addiction too. I think the way that people handle things, whether it be the kid, the mother, like anything in, you know, the story of, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but, uh, the story of Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Okay, we're going to go on some conspiracy theory stuff. So J.D. Salinger wrote Catcher in the Rye, and it was about Holden Caulfield, who was, you know, a uh, rebellious teen, and his parents were really strict, and he didn't understand why. So he goes out and rebels and, and sees the world for what it is and just, you know, kind of is rebellious. And, you know, a lot of people say that that book was used as a uh, Manchurian candidate. And so uh, a lot of people were holding that book after, like, assassinations took form, like um, that Sirhan Sirhan guy after he, he killed... You know, Robert Kennedy, he was holding that book. He was holding it. Uh, and there's a couple other people, even the dude in the 80s that shot uh, Reagan. He was holding Catcher in the Rye. So, <clears throat> Salinger wondered, like, why? What, you know, what was going on? And so he actually went into hiding. He completely went into hiding because he felt guilty about the things that he wrote and he felt responsible for about, you know, the things that he did. So at that point, there was some journalist that was like trying to find him. And he, this is where the story comes from. He's looking for him. And uh, I guess Salinger was found and he was super old and he actually wrote part two of Catcher in the Rye. And part two was supposed to come out in, I think, 2010. I don't think I've ever seen it. I'm really going to look into it now because of this. And uh, what it was supposed to do was, it was supposed to tell the story of not just Holden Caulfield, but Holden's mom, Holden's dad, and Holden's sister, and what they were going through. And how Holden's dad was probably working in the mine to keep his kids afloat. And, you know, making nothing, no union, no, just getting ruined. And the mom was just probably trying to keep everything afloat and, and getting the kids off to school, doing all this crap and going through whatever she was going through at that time. And even the sister, what was the sister going through? And then all these things lead up to the bigger picture of what does it all mean? So... Holden Caulfield and ironically in uh, my high school one of the teachers liked me a lot and he uh, for my graduation he uh, got that book and he had all the teachers sign it and put a speech and and uh, 
then when they called my name for graduation, he had all that stuff and I didn't go. So cheers to the teacher that did that to me. I forget, it was either Deathlift Moeller or Gail Baird or one of them, but they were great teachers and they, uh, I feel guilty for not going to their, their stuff, but I didn't really like high school, so. And you are an amazing friend as well, Julia. So, okay. <clears throat> it's getting, it's getting halfway in the show. So let's, I'm going to change this up a little bit since it's, uh, Red Man's, uh, Method Man's 50th birthday. I'm going to tell the story about when I went to see Method Man and Red Man and, uh, basically what happened between we, me and my best friend, Mike, who, uh, better known as O, who I don't really talk to anymore. And it started with this, uh, this, this event right here. So, uh, we went to a Method Man and Red Man concert in Pico Rivera, 90s, like 99 or something. I don't even remember. We both worked at UPS. And, um, it was, the show started at like nine, and uh we're uh and, and this is this is this is why there are gonna be three strikes of my friend striking me out while we're not friends anymore by the way this is the first strike so we go to pico rivera it's christmas time like it is christmas time and uh i'm supposed to be at ups at like 2 30 in the morning i think that i can get to pico rivera see method man or red man and make it back to ups in time so we get to the show, me and, me and Mike are the only white people there. And uh, at that time, there are people just, this is when hip hop, 90s hip hop is just blowing up. There are people just like busting like battles out front in front of the show where you think they're about to pull guns. It gets dangerous, but still fun at the same time. So at that time, there was no judgment with us. The only, the only white people there, the only, the only crackers there. And we basically got, you know, rushed to the front. I think there was an opening act that was super cool. I don't remember who. Then at that point, you know, it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, Method Man, Red Man still haven't showed up. Nothing's, nothing's happening. And I look at my friend and I'm like, bro, I gotta go to work. This is getting crazy. This is getting crazy. And he's like, no, you can't leave. We can't leave. Let's just stay. And I said, man, I'm going to lose my job. I have to be responsible. And then at that point, I started breaking out in some rash. So I, I didn't understand what was happening. I think it was just guilt. So short, short story long, uh, we left. And I didn't see Red Man or Method Man. And at that point, we we came back home. And, you know, Mike's like, well, it's time to go to, to, to work. And I said, well, I'm... I'm going to call in sick because I have this rash. And then at that point, he just hated my guts because why? He felt that I did that on purpose. So that's the first strike of uh, my best friend and I's fallout. So as shows <clears throat> go on, I'm going to give you the other, you know, other two strikes. And then after that, I'm going to continue to um, try to contact my best friend 
because I don't talk to him anymore. And it's been a very long time. Uh, we've made tracks together. Uh, he's, he's one of my best friends. So, uh, see, here's some weird ghost stuff. I don't know if you guys heard that, but I said, he's my best friend and my best friend who passed away, uh, with some jealousy stuff. The radio just turned on in the other room. I swear to God. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, that's a little freaky. I'm not joking. So, anyways. Um, so, anyways, yes. That's the first strike of me and my friend Mike's relationship. And uh, I think at the end of this, I'm going to do something special that involves Redman and we will see if we can get our friendship back together if he wants to be my friend and if he doesn't whatever you know I can't beg people to be my friend but I think that'll be a fun segment uh how me and Big O hopefully we'll get back together so Michelle says crazy the way different people interpret things so differently exactly and that's one thing that I think that growing older, you know, in my my head, I think, oh, there's only one way. But that that's not really how things work. You know, first of all, people are, are working with mental illness and that's just a percentage of people. And then there's just other people that are working on some insecurities, you know, and that's a whole other thing. I was going to make another show about insecurities, but let's just throw it in there. Insecurities, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, Oh, that guy, like Brad Pitt's not insecure. You know, I beg to differ. I, I guarantee Brad Pitt wakes up in the morning and goes, man, you know, like something, something, the mole, something bothers Brad Pitt. And and uh, I'm not saying Brad Pitt's the, 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 the man of all men, but he's he seems like he's a cool cat. I heard him, you know, threaten uh, that Weinstein guy over... Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, said he'd fucking kill him if he ever did anything wrong to her again, which I respect. So, uh, you know, my point is, where does it all, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? So, I was in a car accident when I was eight years old, and, uh, you can kind of see like the top of my forehead. I'll zoom in. Sorry for the people that are, but you see this, this right here. I, uh, I went through a windshield and, uh, I was eight years old. I woke up. There was all these people around me that the, the ambulance had to wake me up. And when I came to, like, I had been someplace so far away that like, I, I just, when they brought me back, I was bummed. I was totally bombed because I felt like I was heading to like the next life or the next multiverse, you know, dimension or just destination. And when they brought me back, you know, I remember the firefighter looking at me and there was just blood coming all down my face and this whole part of my head was just cut open. And uh, I got up and the, the, uh, the firefighter was like, you know, don't move. If you move, you're going to die. And I was like, or he actually said, you're going to be paralyzed. And even at eight, I understood that. So at that point, I didn't move. 
and I felt the blood just pouring down my face. I, I trust in, you know, trusted in these firefighters. I, I wanted to make sure my aunt was still alive. I asked if she was, the firefighter said yes. And so then I went to the hospital. I was in surgery for like, I don't know, five hours. They, they fixed up my whole head. They, they, they had to like re just, they had to connect it again. They had to connect my head and it was scary. And I was in the first grade and I remember I had to go to school and uh, I was a super cute kid. You know, like I'll say it, I, like when up until eight, I was a super cute kid. And then uh, once the car accident happened, like I was just, I looked like Frankenstein. So that's the kids would call me. So, and they had every right because I, I looked horrible. Like I, especially the first grade, like for some reason I had to go to school and, and I had these bandages and they covered my whole forehead. I'll never forget it. It'll just cover my whole forehead. And uh, that's the way I started first grade. And all the kids would just make fun of me, you know, call me Frankenstein and, and look at him, look at him, point the finger. And it just made me feel like really like two feet, two, two inches, two inches big, you know? But uh, going back to that support, you know, family support, I always had a grandfather that was just like, man, don't let people tell you what, you know, how to feel about yourself and don't, don't take any shit, you know? So when those people would make fun of me, I, I wouldn't take shit. And I actually ended up getting in fights. And, uh, this is a true story. Uh, I had glass in my head. It was stuck in my head from the car accident. The, the, the ambulance couldn't get it out and, uh, or that, sorry, the doctor couldn't get it out. And, uh, I was in the fourth grade. It had been in there for a couple years. And at that point I'd been getting picked on the whole time. Cause it was still scarring uh, still, still scarred up. And this one kid, Noah, he, uh, picked a fight with me and I don't know what happened, but he punched me in the head, like right there. And, uh, I told him to stop and he stopped and I looked at him and, and, I said, hey man, like, uh, I think that you knocked the glass out of my head. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I, I had glass in my head from a, a car accident. And he's like, he's like, okay. And then I just punched him so hard. And then I ended up hurting him really bad and I feel bad, sorry Noah. But that was real. But that goes back to my grandfather saying, don't take any crap. I'm not promoting violence in any way. Don't ever hit anybody. Violence is not the way. This is when I was in the fourth grade. So, but that scar and these insecurities last with me to this day. And they always will. I'm always like, and that's the thing. We're always that thing that we get made fun of. Or sometimes we think we are. That scared kid that was in that car accident that looked like Frankenstein. You know? So, everybody's insecure. Bjork's even insecure. So... It was a near-death experience, definitely, Michelle. If you want to get into that, I uh, this will be a whole nother show. But I was able to cosmically swim into a different realm for probably about 15 minutes. But it didn't feel like that. It felt like uh, I there was no time. There was no space. It was just the, the little part that was inside of me right here. Like that little part inside of me that feels like it's controlling everything that's running the whole show. 
it took off just like that like just like that it floated away and then all of a sudden I started to catch this 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 like cosmic ray like I was surfing like I was really surfing and I was surfing the hell out of here and it was awesome and like I'm not kidding it felt so good it felt like a warm bath it felt like it felt like it felt like the best thing ever you know but I was eight so what did I know about the best thing ever and then I was gone for about 15 minutes and then it was either smelling salts or the the those things that they brought me back and when they did there was just everybody all around me like like cars like 45 people all around me just staring firefighters and right when they shocked me back or smelling salts I don't remember because it, it, that part it, it's it's hazy I, I, I all I remember is being brought back and all the information that I had learned currently and now and in the future everything had just went like like a digital like a whole bunch of pictures like you're looking through your phone but being downloaded into my head in the split second but then that split second was slowed down in like like I said there's no time and there's no reality or uh, space so it was just like everything just went boom 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 and then I was awake and then there was a firefighter saying like okay don't move man don't move if you move you're gonna be paralyzed and then at that point I was like oh and then I guess the next thing I said is my aunt okay and then they're like yeah and so I've had that was my first near-death experience I've had that was my most vivid one that I can tell you that changed my life forever, but I've had others. You know, I had a, another one where I was older where I hit my head and uh, I hit my head at UPS like really hard and uh, I ended up in the hospital and they thought I was on drugs. So they, they cathetered me and that's when all of a sudden the, the pictures, as soon as they cathetered me again, all those pictures just started going. And then they realized I wasn't on drugs and they didn't know what was wrong with me. And uh, they just tried to do all these things to keep me going. And I felt like I was giving up on life. I felt like it was kind of, I had enough. Cause at that point I was going through that divorce. So at the end I felt, I just didn't want to really kind of, I was over it. I was kind of over things. So it was like I was checking out. I don't even know why I was checking out, but I was. So I was in the hospital. I started to feel really um, like everything was leaving my body again. Like I was, everything was like doing this tunnel vision. And I was like, man, everything hurt like really bad. They had me on Dilaudid, ultimate mount like of Dilaudid. I couldn't do anything but just sit there in the bed and, and all of a sudden, all this warmth started going away and my body started just feeling like it was about to give up. And I felt like if I closed my eyes, I was gonna die. And that was it. I'm like, I'm gonna die. And then it was like, as soon as you feel like you're gonna die, believe me, there's no moment like then that you start to become a religious person and you start to talk to God or the higher power real quick. And as soon as I did, I'm just like, Jesus, Buddha, all these people, I'm here. Higher power, I love you. What the what the fuck did I what did I do wrong? Why am I here? 
and and you know and it's like all of a sudden you hear the voices just you know not directly but like in a weird way like you know what are you doing what does it all mean why are you here what is your existence what what am i going to give you with the time that you know i've given to you and at that point like seriously these could be delusions in my head once again and i'm creating these these uh second person things or it's a connection to some kind of other intelligence that's trying to directly give you some kind of positive encouragement. And uh, at that point, you know, I thought to myself, well, I can play music. I'm a musician and I'm, I'm kind of getting this stuff together. I'm kind of learning how to play. And, and then at that point, that was my solution. I'm like, okay, well, I can change things with my music. I'll, I'll start with that. And so... <laughs> This sounds stupid and cheesy, but I started doing like yoga right there in the hospital. And because uh, I felt like I was going to die. And no matter what they were going to give me, I was going. It was like a personal choice. And uh, then at that point, I just started meditating, 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 meditating. And uh, I started doing yoga where I started just putting myself into different poses and just taking deep breaths and just kind of believing in something more than me that should take over you know and uh, once I did that I started just breathing deep and realizing that I wanted to be alive and then at that point uh, I was out of my bed in like five or ten minutes walking down the hall and the nurses were like stop 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 where are you going and I had like my IV thing and I was just heading heading down the hall because I was feeling better and I was, I was a fall risk, but I still felt better. And then I went back to the bed and uh, I wanted out of there. And then the next, the next uh, day I checked out against doctor's orders, but not like in a bad way. They actually said, if you eat this hamburger, you can go. And I was super unhealthy, didn't care. And uh, I took the hamburger and I threw it in the trash because I knew that I was striving again. And that's the weird thing. It's the striving. Us as humans think that we got to have like this food and these vitamins and all this crap. No, you got to have that will. You got to have that, 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 that creative force, that, that, that will to want to change something, you know, like whether, whether you be like a, whatever your thing may be, if you want to make videos or if you want to like write, whatever these things that turn you on, these, these help you get away from addictions they help you get away from toxic people. They make you realize things about yourself. They make you lose your best friends. So definitely, definitely. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? I think we're kind of rounding out this episode. If you guys got any questions or anything, it's been kind of fun. My guest didn't show up, hopefully next week. And if you guys ever, you know, want to be on the show or know anybody that wants to, uh... oh, oh, let me, I, I want to get into my commercial here. I'm, I'm not getting paid to do this, but, um, this, these are some of the people that I, uh, some of the things that I enjoy. Uh, I'm growing a beard. I'm a big fan of George Harrison. 
And I know there's tons of beard bombs out there, but uh, the beard bomb that I use is, uh, this is Honest, Am Honest Amish Beard Bomb. And it's gonna be backwards, I know, in your viewer. I, I realized that, but just use your imagination. I don't know if they have a uh, Instagram. If they do, more power to them. I'm all for it, but this is my commercial. I'm testing this product. Uh, I'm using it so far. I like the smell. I like the, uh, the consistency of it. Uh, I hope my beard grows strong. So, and like I said, that's just a free plug. I really enjoy uh, that, that product. Okay, so we're gonna end with uh, one of my favorite songs. It's, these are like uh, Julia said, music is power. Heck yeah. I'm definitely becoming a stronger person, Julia says, more opinionated and confident, speaking up more. That's how you, you know, that's how you gotta be, you know? Don't be afraid to speak your mind. Especially in this world of 2021, you know? What's there to be afraid of? How can you go wrong? What what has said that hasn't been said already? I try not to offend, but I also like to speak from the heart, you know? And sometimes people respect you more from that, you know, when you just tell the truth. You don't have to be a mean or opinionated, but you just gotta be you and and not feel like, you know, not not feel uh, any regret for being you, because you're the best you. <laughs> I don't want to get all Tony Robbins and shit, but uh, you know, that's the thing. When when we get into this, what does it all mean? It's the the perspective. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? And what it means to me? Yes, love. So far, that's what some of the guests have said. Love. I definitely want to put that in there. Love. I've had like three of those. What does it mean? Love. Love. And what else? What else? Love and creativity and... The, the adrenaline in your stomach to want to create good and change for the world. To get the kids out of the cages. Stop, stop. Human, human trafficking, all that crap. Focusing on this planet and this world. Julia says, I don't find that easy. Some say I've changed. I haven't. I'm just more confident. I love that. There's nothing wrong with being more confident. I had my friend, one of my best friends in the world, Pete, called me arrogant. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't know what the, that word meant. That's horrible. And uh, I felt bad. I try to be not arrogant. 
I have nothing to be arrogant about. See, now it'll go back into the insecurity, right? Me having those, when he calls me arrogant, all I think about is the eight-year-old kid that's got those 56 stitches on the head that's been sewn together with, you know, string that he's never seen. So we all have that little kid inside of us that's like been made fun of and, and tortured and told that they're ugly, you know, all of us, all of us, even Brad Pitt, even, even, even Sophia Loren, all these people. And I think a lot of that is, gives you fire to want to do other things, you know? I think that's really what it is. I think the people that get made fun of the most are the ones that, that uh, are the ones that just can't get it out of their soul. And they want to, you know, prove these people wrong. The truth sets you free regardless. Exactly. The, the coolest thing that I ever did was stop lying about anything. You know, honestly, it sounds cheesy, but as soon as I stopped lying and people just I would ask me questions and I would just tell them the truth, I never had to remember what was going on because it was just the truth. And so in speaking the truth, there's nothing wrong. And I think that's where things got really weird in the last four years when, when you would speak the truth and people would go the other way, you know? They, you would you would speak and, and all of a sudden, whatever you'd say would, would be wrong. And so uh, the truth is real and you feel it in your heart, you know? And I think that's the cool thing about us humans. We know when people are lying. So that's where politics get interesting when you have these politicians, no matter who they are, just standing in front of you lying. And, and uh, we see it. You know, so it has been groovy. I have about two more minutes. So if there's anything that you guys want to go over, totally Doug hanging out with you, Michelle and Julia. It's been a great night. My appearance during my surgery process, people would comment. I was, uh, it was a stage I went through. Yeah, I have these teeth right here that aren't my teeth. I'm going to the dentist and as you can see, they're all crooked and weird. And it actually makes me drool. This is real talk. I don't care. I'll talk about this. It makes me drool. And so at that point, uh, you know, what can I say? Like for me, it's a little fun because I've never had, uh, I've never drooled before. So, you know, walking around town and, and thinking that I need a, uh, you know, a, 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 a rag because, you know, I'm going to potentially drool on myself. It's different. It's cool. I know that sounds strange, but I've lived my life where I haven't drooled, but I'll tell my dentist this, but I look different and, uh, I was teased a lot. I'm constantly teased even now, you know, I think being a musician, people pick on you more. You know how many times a day I get, hey, rock star, hey, rock star. It's not like really, it's not the funny, the funnest thing to be called, you know? It's almost like a smart ass thing, you know? And uh, a lot of people are just afraid to go out there and do it themselves. So when they say, hey, rock star, it's just them really saying, hey, you know, I, I didn't do it. I didn't try. 
and yeah, I got my guitar sitting at home and I played tons of songs, but I never went out and tried, you know? So then they try to put you down. So when people are starting to put you down, that's when you know you're onto something good, you know? That's all I gotta say. As soon as you start doing something good, people will start to put you down. Yep, it's weird like that. And, and I saw something, can you still hear me? I hope so. So this is the one thing that I heard. If you can't hear me, tell me. So the one thing that I heard was the people that, especially your friends, when they see that you're doing something, they tend to get bummed because they came from the same place that you did and they're not doing it. And that kind of makes sense, you know? So that's really it. New York City is the place where they said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. That's really it. People believe if they came from the same place that you did and they're not doing it then, you know. Trip. Thank you, Michelle. You're pretty rad. I wish I could bring all of you in on the Zoom thing. I'll give you guys an update. I am getting a new Wi-Fi update. And, uh, but I'll tell you where that humbleness came from. It's flying through that windshield, you know? And being that kid, you know? I heard that Abraham Lincoln like this is strange but abraham lincoln was treated like a, a a slave on his ranch before he was like you know when he was young he was kind of like a slave and then when he got older i heard that you know he was kind of a racist still but then he saw these slaves being treated like himself and then he saw himself in the slaves and that's where he got on the the, the thing where he was just like no nah, man and that's what people don't realize you got to see that scarred kid and everybody you got to see your forehead and, and everyone. You got to see the deformed foot on that dude and you. You got to see, you know, when I get to be up on stage, the coolest thing is I know I'm about to fall the fuck off, right? I'm on this, the whiskey stage. I'm about to fall off. But I know there's a kid in a wheelchair down there that, like, can't do that. And I know that he's looking up at me going, dude, don't fall off. I want to do that. And I'm living through you right now and if you fall i'm gonna be pissed so at that point what do you do you do the best you can for that person you know and try not to fall off so you guys are the best you guys are the best what how are we gonna end this what do we say though what do we all say how do we end it huh julia huh michelle what do we say it's been great and groovy what what do we say we say, fuck Don Balls. Boom. Thank you guys for, and, you know, staying around and enjoying the show. Fuck Don Balls. It's already been an hour, so I got to end it. What does it all mean? And fuck Don Balls. <laughs> Night, guys.